0: Zart and Matthew Klippenstein are back again for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. Clean Technica's weekly podcast about the hottest news and most interesting stories in the clean tech field focused especially on electric vehicles and solar energy. Check in weekly via cleantechnica.com, SoundCloud, or iTunes to get your electric fix.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Matthew Klippenstein here with Nicholas Zart. As a quick reminder, show notes are available at cleantechnica.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review on iTunes to make it easier for others to discover us. How go things today, Nicholas?
0: You know, it's, uh, things are pretty well here. I'm finally recuperating from uh, five, four days, four days at the LA Auto Show, which is the longest I've ever, ever, ever done. My feet are killing me. And also, I'm, I'm really excited about the, uh, the podcast, how well it's doing. It's great to see users' reviews and also to hear their comments and feedbacks about what they like to hear. And by the way, I should also mention that I had so many companies at the LA Auto Show that said, we love what you guys are doing at Clean Technica. And I said, what do you mean exactly? They said, you're not just like the other content providers. In fact, you don't just do that. You're in depth, you bring your own experience to the table, and we love to reread your articles and your newsletters. And I tell you, I think in 10 years, that was the best compliment I've ever heard. So I'm, I'm excited. We're, I think we're doing something good here. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is quite exciting. Just riffing
1: on the podcast feedback, we would like to thank some more listeners who sent in reviews. We actually have enough reviews now that instead of iTunes saying there aren't enough reviews to do an average, it actually gives us an average score, which is kind of cool.
0: Yay! So,
1: uh, yeah, so, uh, so a big thank you to everyone and especially those of you who've written in. Karen Lowe from the U.S. wrote in that she enjoyed the comprehensive coverage across all types of EVs and asked us to get on Stitcher so that Android (laughs) users could listen to us more easily. We are working on that, Karen. Thank you very much for the feedback. Mike OSX gave us a somewhat more critical, we'll say constructive criticism review, largely centered on our perspective on Tesla and my concerns that... It's something where you want the company to be hitting its targets on time, not burning cash, although they tend to be on the burning cash and not meeting targets on time side of things. I guess just to provide a sample comment, Musk is fully aware of the burn rate, the resources he has to produce his goals, and Wall Street's concerned about his production. And that's why he answered one of the questions from the call. Mike also suggested that we need to learn to not predict an answer and then be disappointed that he didn't answer with our correct answer, yeah, which, is a, which is quite a valid point. I think certainly those of us who are passionate about subjects do get disappointed sometimes when people we think should share our view don't share our view. So that's a criticism well taken, Mike. And finally, Ross-ST24 from the UK, wonderful international feedback here, uh, gave us a fine review, five stars, indicating that he really enjoyed the episodes, commenting that there were plenty of YouTubers who covered EVs, but not as many podcasts, and that being from the UK, he appreciated the international coverage. So he asked us to keep it up, and we will certainly keep it up in terms of trying not to be too... U.S. focused, as after all, there is a big world out there. I would not be surprised if, in ten or twenty years, there would be requests to be not so China focused. Uh, Many (laughs) podcasts, being as that is certainly where a lot of the activities are going. We do want to re-emphasize that there is wonderful progress being made around the world, and uh, we should celebrate and uh, raise awareness of it. Yep. Uh, now, with that segue, we'll go back to the States for our first <laughs> segment today. Uh, Nicholas, as you heard, could have really used a segue, uh, remember those, uh, yes. at the LA Auto Show this week as he put in, probably not walking a marathon, but I'm sure you burned a number of calories there.
0: Yeah, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a long time since the LA Auto Show has been that exciting. We counted something like 28 plug-in hybrids. And about, I can't remember exactly, but something like 18 electric vehicles, and that's including electric bicycles and all that good stuff. So to, to put it into perspective, we haven't seen this since about maybe five or six years ago, not in terms of how many EVs and PHEVs we've had, but um, how many um, electrical drivetrains or electric drive trains we had at the show. It was amazing. And it was so overwhelming that I usually only go for, you know, normally Thursdays and maybe some Fridays, but you know, Wednesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays. This time I had to be there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I got to tell you, I was wiped. I slept this whole weekend, didn't write a thing. And even to the point where I missed certain things, it was, I mean, I've never had that. I've never, ever had that. Kyle was there on the last day. Sebastian Blanco was here too. It was just not enough to cover the whole show. So, Fantastic maybe we should talk about the most important part of the LA Auto Show for us?
1: Sure. I guess my uh, my first question to you would center around the new Nissan LEAF, uh, seeing as it is the world's best-selling overall cumulative uh, electric vehicle. With the new LEAF coming out, it is uh, there's a lot of attention paid to the higher end of the market. Yeah, Tesla has done a wonderful job of bringing that, but I guess for me, the Nissan LEAF still represents the big thing because it's the EV for the masses. Even if it doesn't have quite as much range, I'm sure that this initial second generation LEAF before the even longer range version will find a ready market thanks to its price point.
0: I think you, you, you said it pretty well. The new Nissan Leaf is exactly what Apple does. Same price, but better, except they've done even better than that. It's slightly cheaper or it's less, slightly less than the original Leaf, but it offers much, much more. It's a quantum leap. I'll give you just one example. My next door neighbor, who's a Porsche fanatic, they have a Leaf right now, current old generation Leaf, and they were wondering if they were going to go the e-golf route. They test drove the new one and they will be getting the new one. So, just to give you a whole idea, yes, it is redesigned. And the official uh, explanation is that if you think about it, the original Leaf, it's about 10 years in the making now. So it's ready for uh, for a facelift. It did what it had to do. It raised eyebrows. People recognized it. It sort of did the Prius, uh, the Prius thing for electric vehicles. But I guess for me, what was really amazing was the test drive I did with it. It was an eye-opener. The car does not feel like the old Leaf for, for many reasons. For one thing, they, they really worked on the uh, elasticity of the electric motor at higher speed. And, and what that means is if you drive a Leaf right now and you're at 50-55, when you accelerate, it's a little sluggish. Well, not at all for the new one. The new one responds really well, much, much more pronounced boost at that speed. So that means you can overtake in a much easier way. But I think the most important part was how they've designed their ProPilot Assist and their intelligent cruise control system to work really well together. So what that means is that at speeds over 20 miles per hour, you can set your intelligent cruise control to follow the car in front of you and use the ProPilot Assist, which is a very first level of, of autonomous driving. It keeps you in your lane. But unlike other systems that are not that natural, this really felt very natural. It didn't surprise me. It kept me in the lane. You can feel it's a very mature product. Two other things is the e-pedal. You now can engage the e-pedal and it really boosts up the uh, regenerative braking so it feels more like a tesla more like a bmw i3 lastly the part that i really enjoyed a lot maybe on the technical side is they really re-engineer the car very well the trunk space is best in class and i asked them you know so what what else did you do because it looks like a lot of work the car looks a little bit bigger but it doesn't look like it's that much heavier although it is a little heavier so it's the same battery size uh, as far as space right not as far as energy density as with the old leaf but it has more energy density again not per cells right the whole pack itself but it's also a a pack that's 300 pounds lighter although the overall weight of the car is higher but that doesn't matter really won't because once you test drive it you won't know that you won't feel the difference the thing that i like the most is they really rearranged in the trunk at least the whole suspension system it's open it's clear they did a really fantastic job and, and i I think if we had, you know, we should do like the best of uh, at the end of the year. The Nissan Leaf should be the best EV right now on the market. It's fairly affordable. It's a great car and it feels like a real. Uh, here's the way I'm having a hard time explaining that part. It might not feel like a BMW i3 or a Tesla, but it does feel like an electric car. However, it won't disturb people coming in from, say, you know, a regular automatic gas car. So they'll still feel that it is kind of like a regular car, but at the same time, it feels like an electric car. I don't know how they did this, but they really did their uh, their homework really well. They really re-engineered the car really well. And obviously, as you can tell, I'm pretty darn excited about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess the way I often think about the first-generation LEAF is that it's the archetypal minimum viable product that you hear about. Yes. in Silicon Valley, where... You get something which is functional. It just barely meets clients' needs on certain criteria, but you get it out to get experience, figure out how to do the next generation. And as electric vehicles have gotten longer ranges and bigger batteries, there's a tendency to say, oh, the first generation Leaf doesn't have nearly as much range. Is it really practical for anyone anymore? And clearly it it has been practical for a good number of people. It is the best-selling EV out there. And it allowed... Nissan, as you're saying, to basically take the same volume of space for the battery, but cram in much more range as they do the second generation design. The first generation, they actually did try to make it a little bit super distinctive with the bug eyes in order to (laughs) people say, oh, this is that really different car. And now their design (laughs) philosophy, I understand, is that they want to say, well, this is just one of the many cars that we offer. They also, uh, relating to the ProPilot Assist uh, that you mentioned, they also recently announced plans to kick off a self-driving taxi trials yes. in March of next year. So again, it's um, if you only followed U.S. news, you would think that depending where you fit on the spectrum, that either Tesla was way ahead with autopilot or GM with cruise is certainly making big gains. But yes. uh, and, and while I would think that the GM does look to be the leader in autonomous driving at the moment, there are other companies who are highly profitable with lots of resources who have committed already many years of effort into this, again, reinforcing that whole international theme.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think one way of saying it is that the Nissan LEAF is really well-rounded. I mean, it does a lot of things pretty well. It, it might not exceed at one thing or another, hence you're right, 150-mile range. But you know what? 150-mile range is pretty good for almost anyone. One thing I did forget to mention is they throw in a portable 240-volt charger, which means now you can drive to anywhere and plug in directly into a 240-volt plug, which is something that, that we didn't have before. So they really thought it through. It's a well-rounded, mature EV. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty much the best one on the market right now within that segment. Like I said, my friends tried it and indeed it looks like other Nissan cars now. They tried it, they loved it and they're getting it. So I'm I'm excited.
1: We could call it like a decathlete or the the decathlon approach to electric vehicles where it's, it's not insanely great in any one dimension, but it's good all around, especially when you consider the pricing. And so it deserves the success it's achieved. Yeah. You also mentioned the BMW i3s being the equivalent of the iPhone 6s to the 6 uh, <laughs> uh, to, relative to the i3s is to the i3.
0: You know, that's, that's, a, that's great. That's a great analogy. You're totally right. Now, the i3 is a great car. I, I love how it feels. I love how it drives. And BMW you know, they decided to upgrade the car, but they didn't really, and this is unofficial, so please don't quote me on it. Nobody knows what the range is. I don't think the range is going to be any better than the regular i3, but that's not really that important because we are talking about BMW here. And after all, the experience is in driving the car so what the i3s does this year is that it has larger tires so the performance as far as handling goes up and that was the big thing at the show this year the reason why i I talked about it is because the i3s was straightforward look you know we didn't make it into a 200 mile range car but however we've improved the handling we've improved a few things here and there and I can't wait to get behind the wheels of that because the original one was already a fun little car to drive. This one is going to be even more interesting. And of course, they had their um, their prototype i5. It's a big sedan. It's very Teutonic in its approach, very bold. So I'm going to be very excited about that. But the good news is that we will get some test cars to uh, review pretty soon, mostly the plug-in hybrids. And I'm excited to do that because I've been hearing a lot of great things about those uh, Series 3s and T- Series 5 plug-in hybrids. So stay tuned.
1: Mm-hmm. We will hope that Tesla has had a chance to secure a few years' lead time on the Series 3 with the Model 3, because whenever it is that BMW does turn on the production line with Teutonic precision, that production line will start. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we want to make sure, for Tesla's sake, that they have worked out all the kinks and have had the advantage of a first mover for a little while.
0: That's true. That's that's very true. And that's one thing I really like about BMW is unlike a lot of their local competition, they don't do a lot of talking, but they sure deliver a heck of a lot. It's a smaller company again, and I really like what they're doing. They're straightforward and honest. The other big thing to talk about, and I think this is probably going to be the highlight for most of our listeners, is that Tesla was finally here. And this is a first at the LA Auto Show. And you would have assumed that they would have put forward their Model 3 and only talk about it, but they did a really great job at giving showgoers an overview of everything Tesla. So that means that they had the Tesla roof tiles, they had the Power Wall, they had the Model 3, and of course they had the Model S and Model X, but they showed a very comprehensive view of what the Tesla... The world buys you so in other words fairly energy independent once you have everything and that was pretty well done I was uh, I was excited and they were right there next to Jaguar next to Land Rover next to Acura and right next to the front door we waited for them what is it now almost a well yeah a decade and they were there they were showing a pretty good all-encompassing view of, of driving electric
1: Now, uh, did you have a chance to sit inside and simulate what it would be like to use the large, massive touchscreen for all the controls? Being in Canada, it'll be a long time before I have a chance to sit down and simulate driving down the street using the touchscreen for the various controls. So were you able to, to get that kind of a sneak peek?
0: No, unfortunately, you know, Tesla is Tesla. They didn't open the door. They, we couldn't go in. I'll say one thing. The Model 3 is much bigger than it looks like on paper or on picture. At first, I really thought it was a Model S. And I thought, whoa, is it a redesigned Model S? Oh, no, it's the Model 3. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a tad smaller than the Model um, S. It still looks like it is a Model S. But it's, it's just now I understand how they were able to shove that battery pack in there. Hmm. Nice hints, nice nice uh, cues. It's, it's definitely Franz's work. You can see that. It had the cameras, the rear-view camera and the front-view cameras on the door sills, so that was interesting too. But no, unfortunately, no, we couldn't go in, and that would uh, have been great. <laughs> that would have yeah, I, I'm sure. So moving on from uh,
1: what is there today, and then riffing still on the whole Teutonic thing, did you have a chance <laughs> to uh, take a look at the VW Buzz, that hippie fan yes. for the hipster era? Yes. That, I, 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 I'm not really a car guy, but as soon as I saw the initial photos, renderings, I was like, wow, that is the kind of car that I would love.
0: What was really funny is that the weekend before, it was actually, we spotted it in Long Beach right here, riding our bikes, and, and we were thinking, oh, wow, this is great. Can't believe we're going to see that in a few days. So the original idea, the you know the white one with the blue windows and the white interior, that is just a concept. That will not be produced, so now we know that. However, the buzz. The Buzz Van is slated for production by 2023, so we're still a long time away from here. And the Cross will be available by 2022. Apparently, the big thing is Volkswagen said that they were going to start production in 2020, which they called it in 100 weeks, we will start producing it. So I thought that was good. So up close, they're huge the Cross is a huge car, big, big car. It almost felt like a crossover in many ways. One thing that really intrigued me is, and, and please go out and see the car for yourself, look at a Model 3 and tell me if you don't see the similarities. So now what's interesting about this is you have a mainstream traditional car maker embroiled in a, in a scandal, trying to catch up with electric cars, copying a startup. And I know those are really harsh words, but I did see a lot of Model 3 cues in it, the front fascia, again, the rear and front facing cameras that are in the windowsill and the window pillars. So that was very interesting. The buzz, the van itself, is it's pretty big. I mean, it doesn't look like the traditional 60s uh, van that was much smaller, much more compact. So it's going to be a bigger platform. It definitely looks like a modern van. Very Teutonic also in its design, very bold, very big. So, yeah, so it was, it was interesting, but nothing much more than that. And, you know, we'll have to wait another five years or four to five years before we see those cars on the streets.
1: You know, with all the cross-promotion that Nissan has been able to do with the Nissan Rogue and Star Wars, because that's Rogue <laughs> one, and I've seen uh, recent ads on YouTube where they've still linked into the new Star Wars movie, uh, The Last Jedi. Someone at Volkswagen would surely earn a bonus if they can get the the Scooby-Doo cartoon series. Those characters drove a Volkswagen hippie van kind of thing. Someone at Volkswagen should definitely get a bonus so they can convince the rights owners to create a new animated series featuring a relaunched Scooby-Doo where they do drive the new van. That's, uh, That's one of the more iconic memories of my childhood, linking popular culture with this archetypal van there.
0: That's a a good point, because Nissan did really make a good point of of showing the Star Wars connection and everything. If uh, Volkswagen has the money, they should definitely do it.
1: I guess it was kind of luck that Nissan had chosen the name Rogue for a vehicle, and then Rogue One comes out. They did something pretty canny, where they had Usain Bolt, or they have Usain Bolt as one of their ambassadors, and they signed him, I think they actually signed him after GM announced the Bolt EV. I'll I'll double check this for the show notes, but it would appear that GM lost a chance to sign Bolt the Runner as a spokesperson for Bolt the electric car. That is a, a legendarily
0: lost opportunity there. Good point. We should double check on that. I just want to talk about two more cars. I don't know how much time we have left, but the the, the other big news obviously is the Hyundai Ioniq and the Kia Nero. So the Kia Nero plug-in hybrid won the best award for plug-in hybrids at the LA Auto Show. And it's actually a pretty nice looking car. It's not, too big, it really feels more like a, a big station wagon, not really a crossover. So, I think they did a pretty good job on that. The performance is, you know, nothing to get too excited about. We're gonna get a, uh, a loner pretty soon. But the other part I was excited about was the uh, Hyundai Ionic, which honestly, at the price point it is, and I can't remember exactly now, but it was something like 28, 26. It's almost the same price as the Nissan Leaf. It's not as matured and well put inside, but it's a car that should be good competition to the Nissan. So I was excited to see these guys out there. And then also very lastly, another car that I was impressed with is just just to tell you how busy the show was. I did not cover the Honda Clarity, which comes now as a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, but also a plug-in hybrid and an EV. And the big news there was that Honda, promises to have the clarity in all states. We're assuming not the hydrogen fuel cell because the infrastructure is not there, but it sounds like you'll be able to pick up at least a plug-in hybrid clarity anywhere in the U.S. and most likely an EV, so a pure electric car. Really good news because it sounds like Honda does this. They get way ahead of everybody and then they stop. And then we don't hear from them for another like two, three, four, five, five years. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're back out there again and they have something really great. So that was very exciting. And then after that, I'm leaving the best for the rest.
1: Honda is based, I think, in Hiroshima, Japan. Yes. And that is totally off the beaten path as far as the Japanese auto sector goes. So they are actually even undercovered within the Japanese auto press sector. Back in the day, the Japanese government had wanted to have a few automaker champions, and basically Honda didn't make the cut because they basically made motorcycles. It wasn't thought that they could transition successfully into doing cars, and, well, the folks there proved them wrong. I'm sure Honda has a a corporate history of being overlooked and maybe the tenacity to overcome that.
0: Another thing, too, is Toyota and Honda signed all sorts of agreements that Toyota wouldn't make motorcycles to compete with Honda, but it was investing in Honda. There's a really interesting dance between those two companies that I, I just found out about.
1: So, wow, I had no idea about that. That is huh. that's really interesting. It's like the the underbelly of the uh, the Japanese auto sector.
0: There sure sure is a lot. I'd love to talk about Red Space because Red Space is the future of small little urban cars. And if anybody knows Chris Gamble, he uh, worked on the BMW Z8. He's also the one who did that signature Series Seven trunk, the little uh, spoiler aileron, whatever you want to call it on this trunk. I had the best interview I've had in a decade, and. Chris is a fantastic guy, true visionary. So he designed a car for millennials in China. So we probably will not see the car over here, but the car is choked full of great inventions, great ways of re-seeing or rebuilding, reengineering, redesigning what a car should be like. So the idea very succinctly, hopefully, is that millennials don't have a lot of space at home and they want to continue their connected life on the go with their friends. So the car seating arrangement is very different. It's not your traditional driver, passenger, front row, and then back passengers, you know, very straightforward one behind the other kind of thing. Everything is off center, everything pivots, at least the front two seats pivot, go back and forth, and everything opens up so that it becomes an extended room, a mobile room if you wish. So fully connected. You can play your games. You can watch movies anywhere you want within the city. There's a lover's smooch couch behind too, which I thought was just fantastic. Everything was designed in-house. And that's also another thing I couldn't believe these guys designed the electric drivetrain. They outsourced, of course, the batteries. And I can't off the top of my head recall that. But I had one of the best interview with him. It was incredible. And you know those sliding doors? Chris said, you know, he hates them because they're very heavy. They take a lot of energy just to close. So what he did was a very elegant design. His sliding doors on both sides of the vehicle, they go outside. They're hung from the top. Go outside and then open up, which means now you can actually go under the rain and not get drenched, which is obviously something somebody will know about those sliding doors, including, by the way, the, uh, the Model X, which also gets rain coming down too on the side. Very fantastic. And I'll bet you one thing, Matthew. of journalists will not understand that car at all. And 90% of the population will absolutely not understand that car because Chris said something that was very interesting. This is more of a fourth generation of interior design. You know, so we had the carriages where you sat very high up and then we had the the driver sat outside, the passengers behind inside. And then finally, what we have now, very traditional driver, passenger, back seats, so what he did there was, you know, let's really work that insight now. Let's work it so that it becomes a family room so that, you know, you, you can change the diapers of your baby. There's so many things I could say about that car, and it's going to take at least three articles before I get everything out there. But I was very impressed by Chris Gamble and the Red Space Project. Hmm. Promise yeah. you that's it.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. That is, <laughs> it, is, it is definitely an, I'll call it eccentric, at least by uh, oh, modern yeah. standards vehicle. I guess the one thing, thinking about my childhood and even nowadays, I'm not too sure that families of the future would really make all that much use of common space, because as far as I can tell, everyone's going to be looking at their smartphone. I'm not sure if all the, <laughs> if all the chairs would be angled away from each other in everyday use, unless one has a family get-together. But that's just, those are just my impressions from years and years of commuting as both a child and a parent.
0: Agreed, and I think that's where he's trying to make a difference, where millennials do want to get together and also work together within the same space. So this is actually a place to work, a place to play, and a place to view. So yeah, they can be on their phones, they can actually play games together, and they can work individually on laptops. So it's, it's kind of a rearrangement of how we use interior space. But again, I think it's, it's very far out. It's 10 years away from any other cars like that being around and it's a city car, right? So we're not talking about highway cruisers or anything like that. At least not yet.
1: Now, <laughs> before we uh, finish off, I did want to have a little bit of international non-EV content. And so... Clean Technica's James Eyre wrote an article the other day describing how the Chilean state mining company, Codelco, they make about one-tenth the world's copper. They'll soon sell that copper to different clients at different prices based on whether the clients want to purchase copper, which has various certifications, you know, carbon footprint, water footprint, human rights, uh, community impact, and so forth. I'm very, very encouraged about this because it takes a commodity, just give me a pound of copper, and the certification, turn it into something of a consumer product or a decommoditized product. They they refer to it in the article, original Reuters reporting. The reason is that until you get certification bodies involved, there's no way for a company which might either be pro-environment, SRI, which wants to make an ethical difference, they can't really purchase materials which conform to these standards they have until there are certification bodies involved and until suppliers sign up with these certification bodies, whether it's organic foods or non-sweatshop labor clothing. You need to have the certifications and the suppliers in place in order for companies to be able to make these switches. And you might think that many companies don't care, they just want the lowest price, and that will be true for many, many companies. But for many brands which are selling directly to consumers, Consumers spending a very small amount extra, if you're selling consumer products, raw materials aren't generally going to be a death blow to your profit margins if they go up slightly. If you're Apple or if you're an automotive OEM, you probably will be willing to pay a small amount extra or even a modest amount extra for ethically sourced copper. It's a bit like insurance. You pay a small premium and that way you make sure that Greenpeace or other activist groups don't get on your back and drag you through the mud with an extended campaign to get you to change your behavior, paint you as a laggard and so forth. So I'm very encouraged by this endeavor from Codelco in Chile to do this copper pricing based on the kinds of standards and certifications that customers want. It's still the same copper. It's just got another brand. It's got another certification attached to it. It's a little bit like... Black Angus beef. It's still beef. It's cow. But it has a brand to it, and that generates a premium.
0: I love that idea. It seems like all these industries are finally uh, moving. Uh, It sounds like also the fashion industry is getting more into recycling and things like that. But this is almost like fair trade copper, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is in a sense. That's a good way of framing it. Copper is a very highly used industrial metal. It is something which is in so many products. I am absolutely certain that Apple will, in due course, order its suppliers to buy only this fair trade copper, we'll call it. And this has been done for aluminum, apparently, in small amounts. But you can be sure that if you have aluminum and copper signing up for this, we will get other materials, other minerals, other metals, like cobalt coming next. And it will be a wonderful day for us in the electric vehicle community when the car company is offering electric vehicle batteries, have a little certification saying, well, we've made sure that the cobalt in these batteries doesn't get mined in horrendous and abusive situations in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Having that will take away one of the biggest pieces of ammunition that EV critics have against us, uh, which is that you are abusing the third world and you're no better than colonial powers, all (laughs) the other things that progressive groups tend to rail against. And so I'm very encouraged, not just by the fact that we have this coming into place for copper. But now that we have the IT and all these certifications, the technology to be able to do this traceability, to do these assessments, we can move that up into other metals. And yes, we can take away that one big lever, that one big piece of ammunition that many critics and haters lob
0: against us. I think it's so intelligent and you're right because we'll never have fair trade petroleum I don't think so and (laughs) and and you're right the naysayers are always pointing how pollution intensive it is to uh, build our batteries which is the next revolution we really need to change the way we manufacture things but also by having cleaner products that did not take advantage of people in, in different countries I think that is a huge thing and that will really bring more appeal to an EV more appeal to certain electronics and we do know that people are are a little bit more turned off these days, by buying electronics and new computers and well with the economy the way it is too. So I think that's a great idea. And I, I think it's much more than lip service. It's much more than a part marketing ploy. I can't wait till Peru does the same thing with lithium. That will be great. And sulfur mines, all these things. We all know how horrible that is on people working those mines.
1: Now we are getting close to the threshold of our desired time limit. So we'll Come to a close right now. Thank you so very much for listening. We hope you had a safe commute. Thanks for your patience in this verbose but super exciting episode this week. And join us next week to get your electric fix.
0: Yep. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful week. And keep these uh, feedback coming because we're always interested in hearing what you want to hear about.